0: news podcast this is episode number 50 of the global geek news podcast and as always i am your host jeremy bray assigned alongside my co-host wesley faulkner how's it going wesley things are awesome oh that's good enjoying the holidays yeah
1: it's it's always a little stressful with family but it's good to see them after a long hi- hiatus i haven't seen my family since god i think it's been
0: june yeah lucky you i to have to see mine just about every day. I, I wish I could go <laughs> seven months without having to see them. But we have, since this is episode 50, it's the end of the year, it's a prediction show, thought I'd do something special, and we have a special guest on, Maya Grinberg from the Young Tech Show. How's it going, Maya?
2: Hey, guys. Uh, it's going great, thanks.
0: Hey, good to have you on the show.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I, I wasn't. I was wasn't sure if you were gonna be able to make it on such short notice. I haven't been able to find any other guest for this week because everybody's out of town or getting ready for CES or whatever that they couldn't make it tonight. And I was I was glad that you were able to do it on such short notice.
2: Yeah, it happened to work out. I'm actually leaving tomorrow for New York City, so you caught me just at the right time.
0: Oh, lucky you! Work or pleasure?
2: Pleasure. My family is there.
0: Ah, lucky you. Yep. Never been that far east. One of these days.
2: You should go to New York, it's lovely.
0: I've always wanted to go, I've just never made it any farther east than Kentucky for some reason. Hmm. But again, I don't even think I've been east of Colorado in, I don't even know how many years. But. Whoa. Anyway, we have. You haven't lived. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently so, I've. I don't know, I can't, I'm can't. i not going to CES, I don't seem to go much of anywhere, yeah, I don't seem to do a whole lot of living, or at least not lately. I don't know, I guess I did get to go to PDC, that was about as close as it comes. But anyway, we have a very full show today, we have full lineup of stories, which, considering it was the week of Christmas, I was really surprised at that. Plus, we have our 2010 predictions and three tips of the week. I decided to go a little bit overboard and do three instead of one. So, for those of you that want to follow along, our show notes are posted at globalgeeknews.com. And while you're there, hit the blog button. Go check out the Global Geek News blog, where you'll find all kinds of other news and technology-related stuff and some opinion pieces and stuff like that. Speaking of which... I've noticed that there tends to be a lot of new Kindle users and stuff, and you can subscribe to it from the Amazon Kindle. So, feel free to do that if you wish to pay for the content, which would be really nice. But, anyway, go ahead and get started off with our first story. Apparently, the RIAA's three strikes rule is just a scarecrow.
1: Yeah, I like this tactic. Um, Puff your chest out, bang it a couple times... And hopefully people will realize that there is no gun and there's no bullets in those guns and uh, and uh, be scared and <clears throat> wander off. I
0: I was kind of surprised when I saw this, considering all of the fuss that's been made out of the whole three strikes rule, especially with this ACTA treaty that they're working on in secret. I figured that they were actually going to do something about it, rather than this just being kind of a scarecrow tactic. I'm not
2: sure what they could do about it, though. I mean, when the RIAA would would send out cease and desist letters, um, especially to folks at school and and universities, um, and these students would have to either pay the fine or take it to court or wait for it to go to court. I mean, that's as far as I've ever heard of it going. We all know of the massive amounts of money that those two poor kids had to end up paying but what I mean the banning people from the internet after three strikes always seemed a bit if not excessively unconstitutional so it's not really too much of a surprise at this point I mean I could, yeah. I could see the fines you know like they're gonna keep finding people I'm sure but kicking them off the internet is a whole other story
0: well, I think when you have com- um, countries, like I think it's Norway now, that has Internet as basic- a basic human right, it makes this seem more and more far-fetched.
1: Right. Well, this is a, it kind of makes sense also. They probably don't have enough political pool uh, already. Uh, if they did, they would have had this something like this passed officially. Um, but since they don't, Uh, this is probably their best option is to come with some stern warning with no teeth.
0: Yeah, you can only buy so many congressmen. (laughs) Yeah, I I was... I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see how true this is as far as other countries go. I mean, they're talking about in this story as far as the RIAA goes, but I'm kind of curious how groups like IFP and the Breen and other organizations like the RIAA are treating it in their own country.
1: Well we've seen that it's been very um, unbalanced. Some people are in an extreme in either direction saying that basically piracy is legal and some saying um, any hint or accusation of piracy is totally illegal. So um, I think it's a toss-up. Any country um, that falls under the guise of copyright law, will probably um, have their own extreme bill or benign bill.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how this plays out in France now that they have the whole three strikes thing. I, th- I think that'll be a good indicator. But Speaking of yeah. piracy, apparently there's the UK is looking to set up some kind of a piracy surcharge that is looking to... that could possibly force 40,000 households offline.
1: Wow, this is sad. This is very sad.
0: Yeah, apparently the... Uh, I'm not exactly sure which organization it is that the UK has that's like the RAA equivalent, but apparently they're, they've come up with some figure of like around 500 million pounds saying that um, uh, apparently this is kinda what they're losing every year to piracy in terms of if one download equaled one sale which clearly that that's known to be bogus but apparently they're saying that they're still losing all this money, so to make it up, they're just going to basically charge a tax on everybody's internet connection for apparently 25 pounds, which is about 40 dollars a year, and then to issue warnings, it'll cost pe- the customers a pound 40 or two dollars and 24 cents a year, or two two dollars and 24 cents per time, I guess.
2: Wait, let me let me interrupt you. So, so to issue for everybody. In the UK, would have to pay a surcharge for their internet usage. Is that what yes. you're saying? Regardless of whether or not they even know what a pirate is. Right. Okay, and then warnings will cost individual household, or again, a, like any warning that has to be issued will be averaged out into the cost of uh, more taxes for the rest of the UK. Really?
0: That that's the one thing that is. Kind of fuzzy to me is I'm not sure if mm-hmm. that um, pound forty or whatever is what you get charged when you're given a warning, or if that's kind of what's averaged out among all the customers when a person gets a warning. I would I would assume it's that's, just uh, whoever gets the warning has to pay that fee.
2: Right, right. I mean I would think this is so ridiculously uh, irrational. This this line of thought that you would make the entire populace pay for the so-called sins of one small group of pirates especially considering that the pirates that are truly making a dent in you know online media sales losses uh, probably account for like eighty percent of piracy in general in the UK that whole 80-20 rule but the fact that Officials would consider charging the entire population of internet users is just ridiculous. I can imagine there would be so many households that were just, I mean, it's exactly as the article says. They're not going to use the internet anymore. Can you imagine, like, grandma and grandpa Smith being like, what? Extra 40 pounds uh, a year for some punk teenager who pirates um, all the music on his iPod? I don't need the internet that bad. That's just. Silly.
0: Well that's one of the things about this. This isn't like um, any kind of a license to go and download the um, songs or whatever. I mean that's one of the things that's kind of been talked about over the years and that if you're gonna um, download content just pay a small monthly licensing fee to your ISP which will get passed along to the recording industry and stuff like that. This is regardless of whether you pirate or anything you're still getting charged this amount, not seeing anything for it, and it's just basically going straight into the pockets of the recording industry because they're supposedly running out of
2: money. That's a really poor idea. And I don't know, how is it that these recording industries, who did they get to represent them to convince the ISP to raise prices to such a level that uh, it would literally affect the entire Customer base. I mean, it, like, I wonder what sorts of associations there are between the recording industries or whatever media industry is behind these types of fines and actually turning around and affecting what the ISP does about it. It's not just a matter of this being lawful or unlawful anymore, right? It's not just like, oh, we're just going to turn it over to the court because. You know it's not we don't care what happens with piracy you know this is from the perspective of the ISP they care about their bandwidth being affected and like you know throttling or not throttling the the bandwidth that's going to pirates houses whatever all that stuff affects them but it doesn't affect them whether or not what people are doing online is legal Right? So to have them react in such a way, in such an extreme manner, as to charge, as to set this ridiculous surcharge, you have to wonder, like, how are they being convinced to do this?
0: Well, I think that's one of the things about these whole recording industries, whether it's the RAAA, the MPAA, whoever, it's that not only do these guys tend to have lots of um, members of government in their back pocket anyway, but a lot of them they're the ones that are creating content for the ISPs. And the problem is that in most cases, when you're talking about like a Comcast or uh, Cox or Cablevision or something like that, these are they're not only ISPs, but they're also cable providers. So considering like the MPAA and stuff are the ones that are in charge of the content, they kind of have... The cable providers or whatever over a barrel. As far as if mm-hmm. you don't play by our rules, we're, we can do whatever we want with the Comcast, we can or the content, and the and your customers will leave you.
1: Well, if I could say something, I think this is the equivalent of the highway patrol charging uh, higher transportation costs because drug runners use the freeway. Uh, pir- the the internet is just a conduit for a distribution uh, of pirated material possibly, and so if everyone uses the internet, they have to pay for what other people are doing with it. It's 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 just it sounds outrageous.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That that's why a lot of times these recording industry groups are kind of referred to as mafia groups.
1: Well, more power to them. Uh, Hopefully, this is uh, uh, people will find other ISPs that won't succumb to this, and maybe they'll lose business. And um, hopefully, they'll they'll uh, they'll learn their lesson. Not to uh, they'll be the example for the rest of the world not to enact such a law or such practices
0: hopefully they have a little bit better competition over there than they do here where, I don't know about all the communities, but I know in a large number of them, especially around here, you've got one cable provider and one fat, high-speed internet provider, and that's about it. Right. Which doesn't help matters at all. But, anyway, apparently coming back to this side of the pond, the Ohio Supreme Court has, um, decided on a privacy case in terms of whether or not law enforcement can search your cell phone without a warrant.
1: Yeah, this is complicated. I wonder how detailed they, what they call a cell phone. Because, um, this is equating cell phones to pocket computers saying they have greater access to the internet and uh, a lot more data and your contact information and your private information. And so privacy uh, is expected with something that has so much of your own data in it as opposed to a basic cell phone or a pager. Um, But if I had a laptop um, that had a cell phone card in it, would it fall under this law? Uh, What if we're talking about a um, like uh, Apple's tablet that's rumored to come out, would it fall under this law? Um, the way it's written, I hope that it's it's uh, clear as to uh, a clear line between what is a cell phone and what isn't a cell phone, and what is a pocket computer.
0: Yeah, that that's one of the things that kind of concerned me when I read this. I and mean, well, I'd like to see this kind of happen in other states, if not the whole country. Period. But at the same time it's hard to really define a cell phone anymore I mean they deliberately stayed away from the whole question of whether it's like a feature phone or a smartphone or whatever but you have all these devices that have internet connections now how can you can you define it in a way that those things are excluded even though they you can get you can have telephony features on them. Like, I mean, on my iPod Touch, I can put Skype on there. It doesn't necessarily make it a phone, but it can still function as a phone with all the same features as a phone. So, But it, but does that mean it's necessarily a phone so that they can't search through it?
1: Yeah. Uh, let, this reminds me of a lot they just passed here in Austin, saying basically... Um, you can own while driving, you can only use your phone for a phone. You can't use it for text messaging. You can't use any of the apps on it. And for for the my problem with that law is let's say that I wanted to call you, Jeremy, and we're friends on Facebook, and I know your cell phone is through that, so I wanted to use the Facebook app to call you. So I go to the section where the phone numbers are and then I hit that to dial your number. Am I breaking the law or am I not breaking the law? Because uh, I'm not using the app as an app specifically to update my uh, wall on Facebook, but just to use it as a contact manager. Yeah. So law, laws like this are, are very fuzzy.
0: Yeah, well that, we just recently got our own texting ban here in Colorado, first part of the month. And luckily our law isn't quite that bad. Ours basically says that we can still talk on the phone, we just can't text, we can't send an e- email, we can't really do much of anything in, that requires text entry, but they, there's no mention of like apps and navigation and stuff like that, so we can so like in the case that you present, we can still do stuff like that it's just texting, emailing, twittering that kinda of stuff is out the window, unless of course you happen to have a ham radio license, in which case you're good to go
2: Are they still in addition to your hands? Do you have hands-free laws as well, or are they separate and substitutes for hands-free laws?
0: We don't have any hands-free laws around here. At the same time that this went in, and I'm not sure if it's necessarily a part of the same law, I don't believe so, but now anybody under the age of 18 can't use a phone at all while driving. But that's about as close as it's come. We don't have any hands-free laws or anything like that.
2: California last year uh, last June was the first state to pass um, completely hands-free law or was it July and um, I think that pretty much is the the biggest umbrella you can have you can't hold a telephone a cell phone in your hand and use it in any way shape or form while you're driving that pretty much eliminates texting Facebooking whatever else you can possibly do on your phone other than talking at it
1: I heard that uh, actually after that law was passed that the rates of people, uh being caught using a cell phone actually went up.
2: Well, that's likely because they probably weren't looking as hard before or maybe not looking as hard but actually pulling people over because they couldn't get them on anything. Now you can actually get pulled over and fined. Starts uh, I mean last June the first fine was $20 and then I think like at this point I don't know how high it's went, maybe even 50. But um you can't, I mean, before the law was enacted, there was no reason for you to get pulled over if you were holding a phone to your head, right? So it makes sense that the numbers would go up. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it could be the recession also saying the police department needs more revenue, so please start pulling people over for this. Right.
2: Well, yeah. But last, yeah. No, 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 I'm sorry. It, last summer, by last summer, I mean summer of 2008, which is kind of before the real trouble started in terms of... Uh, the economic collapse so before um, even that well I know it's very forward-thinking California <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> all around here
0: the new texting law that they just put into effect everybody seems to be ignoring it even the law enforcement says that there's not a thing they can do to enforce it because they have no real way to figure out are you texting are you emailing or are you just typing in a phone number because that's still perfectly legal and so, last I heard, when they reported on it in the newspaper or whatever, they said there hasn't, there still hasn't been a single ticket issued for it around here, because they can't really do anything about it. I mean, if you get into an accident and admit that you were texting when you had the accident, yeah, they'll give you a ticket for it. But otherwise, they can't seem to enforce it around here. I've also kind of noticed a increase in the number of tinted windows around here too which I'm not sure if there's a direct relationship there, but I would assume so.
2: That's interesting. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not um, well-versed on the laws um, in the states outside of which I live. I lived and grew up in New York City, and now I live in California, but in New York City, tinted windows past a certain grade, which is very light, are also illegal, and i um, pretty sure that's... The same. Well, actually, I I wouldn't be able to say it for California, but in New York, if there was an increase in tinted windows because of the cell phone law, they would be ticketed too because you cannot have tinted windows, especially um, in the front.
0: So, well, from my understanding of the tinted window laws around here, you can have either the side windows tinted or the front and back. You can't have both. So it just kind of <laughs> depends on what you want. I know, and some people do it because they're doing stuff they probably shouldn't be doing. Other people do it because it keeps their cars a whole lot cooler in the summer. I've just never been one to mess with it either way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then again, maybe I'm too geeky to mess with something like that. Because apparently, in our next story, it's actually the girls that are the geekier ones than the guys, according to a (laughs) recent study.
1: Well, this is related to um, to, to EverQuest two specifically, but it's saying that girls clock more hours in the hard even uh, on on average and on the extreme end. Yeah,
2: but here's the question: like, how many girls of those seven thousand players? How many of them were girls, and how many of them were guys?
1: Oh yeah, good. I think good, that's good a question. very
2: relevant metric.
1: True, like if there was like. Um, Two percent out of that seven thousand, you're meaning,
2: right? Exactly. And if two percent were women, and you know, you would figure that since they're so little, they're, those very that very small population was like hardcore EverQuest fans. You know what I mean? Versus like the vast, or you know, forty percent of the male population, which kind of only likes EverQuest a little bit but plays sometimes. You know? Sure. Like yeah. Depending on the population size, you could have like severely hardcore fans that play all day every day versus meh, kind of, I'll just visit it once a week and see, you know, what my character's up to, or whatever.
0: I think my whole issue with this is, why EverQuest 2? That's been around so long, I wouldn't really call that uh, relevant in terms of the gaming world to make that any kind of a halfway accurate judgment one way or the other.
1: Well, yeah, that's why it's only 7,000 players. (laughs) I mean, at
0: least do WoW. I mean, WoW's getting pretty bad, but at least do something that recent.
1: Yeah, maybe WoW's not selling the amount of data that's required for a survey like this. Maybe they were able to get a a good rate from EverQuest 2 to to purchase their data to come up with a report like this. Mm.
0: Could be. I don't know. This is kind of a... I was kind of surprised at just how old the people in this survey was. I mean, just from what I understand about Everquest, it does tend to skew to a little bit of an older audience, anyway. But apparently, the average age of the gamers surveyed was 31, which which that that seems like it's getting a little bit on the old older than I would expect. I mean, I would for most games I would guess maybe mid 20s, but that Mm -hmm. lower 30s seems to be just a little bit older than I would normally think when it comes to gaming. I resemble that remark.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I don't. I. I think it's. It was amusing. The thing is, this the particular article without reading the entire uh, study, which probably. I mean, I should have. I should have at least looked at it to know more. But it's interesting what they pulled out in the synopsis, which seems to be their most like. Weighty and impacting statements is that the female gamers logged more time online and also lied about it, meaning mm. they downplayed the amount of time that they logged online. So when asked in a survey, you know, they claimed a shorter period of time. So almost as if they, either they weren't proud of the amount of time that they spent on this game, which to me doesn't make sense because if these women are hardcore fans to the point where they're logging 50-plus hours a week and they downplay it to 40, even 40 hours a week is kind of an accomplishment in a way like that's a big deal, that's a lot of hours, that's um, a full work week spent playing a game and so I'm surprised that these very same women would be the ones that would downplay that, it doesn't seem to make sense.
1: All right. I wonder if it's, uh, because it's more non-contiguous than the men, uh, so if they play here and there but more mm-hmm. often, uh, maybe that could account for some of the the difference in time of how much they perceive that they spent on it. Right. Um, and if they're doing little by little by little, maybe they don't realize how much they've spent on it. Um, so that's something else I would also like to see in this, like, uh, uh, of the time of day, is it like one period or multiple periods in the day that they play this game?
0: Yeah, that would be interesting to know. I mean, I've been playing games for the past 20 years, but in all my time playing games, I occasionally hear of guys, especially when they get new games, doing, just doing like an all-nighter just so they can play the way through a campaign. <laughs> I have never once heard a girl do that. Hmm.
1: Now, the, the big question, do girl gamers play girl characters or men?
0: I would assume that probably depends on the game.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I don't I don't play um, any online or any sort of role-playing games, but I would imagine from what I've seen on shows like The Guild yeah. or write about it online, um, if your gameplay depends on building up rapport with other people other players in some in certain instances I can imagine it would be advantageous for you to pretend to be a man while you're actually a girl on the other end Um, you know not because not because like guys being attracted to girls and wanting them on their team but if you're a serious game player and you perceive that girls are not as good at the game you might not want the girl on your team uh, Do you know what I mean, so I could see right. you uh recruiting a guy but not a girl, and girls who want to play on the good teams pretend to be guys. I mean, we've seen this throughout history. it would be nothing new, right? like women writing under male pseudonyms, women bloggers writing under male blogger pseudonyms, and same so on and so forth, no matter what technology or medium it is that they are using to uh share information it's all the same. women pretending to be men
0: yeah, I've been around the gaming community long enough to know that the girls can be just as good, if not better, than the men. I, I, I don't
2: doubt it. Yeah. There's
0: just a Call of Duty clan that I'm in, that there's one girl on there that she can whoop me any day of the week. I can get a couple on her every once in a great while, but most of the time, I can't even come close.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, That's that didn't good. come out I mean... quite the way I pictured it, but <laughs> anyway... Um, On to our next topic. Apparently the Nook is looking to sell around 60,000... Or Barnes & Noble is looking to sell 60,000 Nooks this year. Which I just now realized I kind of screwed up in the show notes saying that that would be in 2010 when it's actually 2009. How are they
2: going to ship 60,000 Well. How many do they already ship? It's nearly 2010 already. I mean, 2009's over in just a few days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how many they got out by Christmas. I know that the longer they've had it on pre-order, the farther and farther back the orders keep getting pushed. And Mm -hmm. I know that they've also been giving away $100 gift cards to anybody who had their order pushed back past Christmas when it wasn't supposed to be. But I'm not sure how they... Expect to send out this many. I'm kind of surprised that it had this many enough pre orders to say that there's going to be 60,000 sold within it being out for like a month or whatever it's going to be. Wait, wait,
1: let's clarify that. It says shipped, not mm-hmm. sold. Um, it depends on how you define that. Like, for instance,
0: uh,
1: I know that Apple, when they were talking about the iPhone, how much they've shipped, they were technically speaking, shipped to their stores and counting that as shipped, Uh, not necessarily sold to an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, So they could be distributing this um, uh, to other Barnes and Nobles around the country and then considering that shipped.
2: True. And if each Barnes and Noble even only gets like two or three units by the end of this year, which is within the next several days, I could see that being reasonable and happening two to three units that would quickly add up to sixty thousand considering that Barnes and Nobles is your average everyday next-door book seller.
1: Right, so it's some the consumers and the rest the stores so I would say probably what twenty thousand to consumers maybe and the rest to stores and uh, ship doesn't also mean that it's delivered and in, 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 in 2009 it could be shipped in 2009 but still may not be delivered uh, in two thousand nine, I mean, it could be shipped from China or their ODM or Foxconn, whoever makes it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of right. amazes me is the rate at which they're shipping. I mean, assuming they um, do ship the sixty thousand in basically what the month or so that it's been out has it been has it been out more than a month, or is it did it just come out in December? I can't remember when the official. I know uh, no, it, it, um, it, it. It
2: I want to say November. A-
0: it was
1: announced, I think, in October, but it was supposed to be available in November.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seemed like they got it pushed back. That's why I was thinking it was maybe December. But $60,000 in a little over a month is pretty good, considering the original Kindle was estimated to have sold around 400000 within the first year.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. but also, also, remember, we're not talking about sold, we're talking about shipped. Mm-hmm.
2: But also and, and finally and to like drive this point further into the ground, the original Kindle can't I mean, it could be compared in terms of it being an e reader and all that jazz, but the original Kindle came at a time where um reading books on a machine was not yet mainstream, like people did not you know, accept that as much as they do now that the Kindle's been around for over a year and people see it everywhere in the airports, on the buses, on the trains. Um you know, now I could see an e reader getting off the shelves a lot faster than Amazon did because it was kind of not the first, but certainly the most popular e reader breaking kind of ground for the rest of them to come.
1: Right. And you have the Oprah effect too with
2: the True. T- Very true.
0: Well, I'm kind of curious to see how many people are going to be returning their Nooks and stuff like that, especially if they've been able to also try an Amazon Kindle, because from what I understand, the Nooks having a lot of issues where it's real slow. I'm hearing like three and four seconds to turn a single page, and just a number of other bugs and stuff that supposedly are going to be fixed over the next few months or whatever. But when it comes to that initial impression, it's not going to make a real good impression. I, I'm kind of wondering if it's going to have like the vista effect where, yeah, it's going to get better over time, but that initial impression that everybody's going to get over it is going to be so negative that it's going to haunt it throughout the product's life cycle.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. They need to execute, um, and right now, out of the gate, doesn't look like they're doing that. So... The added features have to make up for their dis- this this their dissatisfaction uh, in their service. Um, so, um, good luck with them. I hope. I mean, we need we need comp- we need uh, competition in this space. Um, that's, that's
2: the thing is there is competition in this space. Like it's just being dominated by the Kindle because the Kindle is a superior product at the moment. But there is the Sony. Um, e reader, and there's several I, models of the Sony e reader. Now there's in, the Nook.
1: I put them in different classes because oh, of okay. the, the wireless.
2: Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, but at the very least, we now have three, right? The yes. Sony e reader with wireless, Kindle, and now yeah. Nook.
1: Right, and so hopefully Apple, possibly. Right,
2: possibly. I'm I'm kind of hoping there's not
0: an Apple Ice Slate or whatever they're calling it. I don't know, it, it they've been. Saying that this is coming out for several years now, and no one's ever been able to accurately predict a date or anything, so I've got a feeling that this is just going to be another piece of vaporware at least for a little while yet. But,
2: uh, well,
1: it's uh, with the amount of reporting from the different sources, I think it's real. From people who have, I've I've known people who were skeptical and of course have greater access than I do and they have been turned so I have to believe that the people who are skeptical once they get turned, that they know something that I don't know mm-hmm. that 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 removes the doubt in their, their mind about this product
0: Yeah, I'm thinking there's a little bit more to the rumors this time around but for something like if you're going to launch a product like that it kind of doesn't, to me it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering this is... Since they're not doing Macworld this year, this is basically an on-their-own kind of thing. I would think that something like that, they would want to announce it like a Macworld. Okay. Eh. Anyway, speaking of portable reading devices, apparently the Kindle was the most gifted item in Amazon's history, and apparently ebooks are now out- outselling physical books, or at least they did on Christmas Day
2: that is really really cool I hadn't seen this story until you sent it but I think that it's fascinating I would like to see the actual numbers of Kindle being the most gifted item in Amazon's history what's that number Does, yeah. it doesn't actually say in the article
1: yeah we've heard many numbers uh, not, we haven't actually we've heard zero numbers but many of these articles saying the most the most popular the mm-hmm. most gifted uh, but yet they won't disclose any numbers. So right. I actually am protesting this article. <laughs> I'm protesting this story. I want numbers. Um, they get no more response from me on this.
0: Well, I, I think I finally kind of un- maybe understand why they've never given out any numbers yet, especially when it comes to the actual ebook sales. Other than, I think it was like a month or two ago, they said that out of every 100 physical books sold, Forty-eight or something like that, I believe, were books on the Kindle. But I think the reason that they don't give out the numbers is now that supposedly on every book sold, or I'm sure it kind of depends, it varies a little bit per book. But on average, for every book sold, they either they lose a dollar or two dollars <coughs> per book. So I'm guessing they probably don't want people seeing just how much money they're losing on the book sales. I think that's why they've never released any of these numbers
2: that's a that's a pretty reasonable explanation yeah. but I mean you would hope that see it's interesting because now that these new Kindle owners have Kindles they have all the more reason to visit Amazon you know all the time not just on their Kindle and over their Whispernets, but you know actually logged on through the web looking at the regular site and being suggested all these new things to buy and um, for every dollar or whatever that they lose on a book I would imagine that they could recoup that just with eyeballs that they get from those readers browsing for new books because they have no other place to get books for their Kindle other than if they happen to like reading old books that are out of copyright
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well you can still get books from other places like the Gutenberg project and stuff. It's just you have to use... Yeah, but those
2: are the ones that are out of copyright, yeah?
0: Yeah. well, I I think there might be... I'm not sure exactly how that works, because, I mean, copyright varies from country to country, and I know that's been an issue in the past. But with a lot of these books and you can still buy ebooks other places assuming you get them like in a PDF format or something like that you can still bu- right. put them on the Kindle and stuff it's just not a real easy thing to do cuz mm-hmm. with the with the new Kindle firmware update that just came out and is slowly rolling out to the Kindles unless you go and install it manually like I have on my Kindle too it, there's now PDF support which there always has been on the Kindle DX but when you get it from these other places, assuming it's the PDF, you can now just put it on there and and it's not a problem. But if you're getting something that's like a doc file or any other kind of a file format, you have either the option of emailing it to a certain email address, having an email back to you, and then you have to plug in your Kindle and physically put the file on there, or you can email it to another address and they'll wirelessly send it to you, but then it's 15 cents per meg. And if you happen to have a PDF file that's a couple megs, that's going to add up fairly quickly.
2: Right. And that's a fairly high barrier to entry that most people, especially, I would imagine, gift recipients of the Kindle who weren't among the first adopters who went out and got it for themselves, um, aren't keen to do. So.
0: yeah it's not a real clear thing to do there's been several times when i've had to go back into the help documentation and stuff to figure some of these features out so it's not a real easy thing for most people to do the functionality's there most people don't realize it but it is there if they ever need it it's just not real easy to get into
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: but uh, i I was certainly i'm i wish they would kind of tell some numbers, at least on the device itself. I don't care how many um, books they sell. I just want to know the numbers on the device. Because you would think that for this to bypass something like a Nintendo Wii as the most gifted item, or an iPod as the most gifted item, there's got to be a ton of these being sold. Yeah, and how do you dis-
1: how do you separate gifts from purchases? How do you well, know I, I'm I
2: mean- I can imagine that they might do you know the gift option when you're checking out you check if this item is a gift then at the very least you can like subtract the sales prices from the shipping uh, record so, so I check that all the time when I'm sending Amazon gifts to my family and friends so I think that would be the uh, you know the very lowest um you know indicator of what is a gift and what isn't so perhaps for the purposes of their um number that would be the lowest number and it can only get higher for example if you buy a Kindle for yourself but you don't mark it as a gift for yourself
0: so yeah, I think they've got several ways to track this I mean there's that way or if people have it on their Amazon wish list and you purchase it through the Amazon wish list I think that's probably mm-hmm. another way or if you have it shipped to a different address, than,
2: address your own. than
0: your own or whatever you use on your credit card or whatever I think that is probably another way as well
1: Or you might be out of town. (laughs) True. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But, yeah, it's certainly interesting to see. I've been watching all of the new Kindle owners on Twitter. I've just done a generic search on the word Kindle just to see how happy people are with it. And it amazes me how many people have gotten it as gifts and stuff and how happy they are with it compared to the people with the nook which seemed to have a whole lot more complaints about it. But that, that's just kind of something that I've noticed after about a day or two of watching Twitter. But at least
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I um I got to play with a nook very briefly. I was riding the Caltrain home from work and uh it was actually the day after the very first shipment of nooks Arrived, um, so it was kind of it was kind of a big deal because I haven't read about anyone seeing one in the wild before. So as soon as I saw this guy who was across from me holding a Nook, I totally went just right to him and I asked him if it was a Nook. And I think he sensed my excitement and he just handed it over to me to play with, um, which was really cool of him. But all I noticed about my very brief encounter with it was. Just negative things, and then afterwards I thought, you know, I probably wasn't being fair. I have a Kindle too, and I'm a big fan of it. You know, I love my little machine very much, but all I, all the thoughts that were running through my head, you know, with the few minutes that I spent like playing with it and pushing the buttons and trying to get a book to come up, was ah, uh, it's kind of bulky and it's short and fat and it's like noticeably heavier than my Kindle and You know, I tried to get on the network to see what their bookstore looked like, and it was AT&T 3G in San Francisco, and sure enough, the network was down. So, as for my first impression, what worse first impression could you get than, you know, the actual bookstore not being up on the first day of your, you know, playing around with your Nook?
1: Yeah, but uh, the the Kindle could have the same problem, though, because they used AT&T on the newer international version.
2: Oh, do they on the international version? But, yes, absolutely true. But then the international version, yeah, I guess there would be lots of people in the US who bought themselves an international version.
1: Well, they discontinued the the Sprint version, so only the international version is available for purchase. Really? Yep.
2: Is that just the Kindle 2? If you buy a Kindle 2 at this point, it's going to be an international one and it's going to be on AT&T?
0: That's correct. right. I'm I'm not sure about the <laughs> Kindle <laughs> DXs, but yeah, all the Kindle Twos are now the international Kindle, which is on AT&T. Lucky me, I'm still on Sprint.
2: Well, I, I was just gonna say the same exact thing. Lucky me.
0: I I don't know. I I would never, if they had had it on AT&T when I bought it, I I would have really second guessed myself when it came to purchasing it. But I'm lucky me, I'm on Sprint. But yep. Speaking of AT&T and their less than stellar service, apparently they are no longer selling iPhones in New York City because New York City isn't doesn't have the capacity for any new iPhones.
1: Oh wait, I uh,
0: I think we have that a story update.
2: updated.
0: Wait. Oh, has it been updated since I looked? Oh, okay.
2: It has been updated to say that that might not be the reason. <laughs> They're well, was, selling in New York again. We
1: have a story in between there about Nvidia and
0: DirectX 11. Oh, uh, I accidentally skipped one. Oops. Well, okay, yeah, back to Nvidia and DirectX 11. Apparently, the new Fermi-based GPUs have been delayed until at least March due to presumably more technical issues that they seem to have that have pushed it back, I believe, twice already and even last week they um reduced the specs on the new Fermi based GPUs quite a bit so i know i'm not holding out any longer for an nvidia based gpu just to, for comparison purposes i'm going to go ahead and go with an ati card
1: i think uh what what is the a dollar sh- a day late and a dollar short it sounds exactly like what NVIDIA has, like, uh, it's going to be delayed and it's going to have less features than originally promised.
0: hmm Yeah, I, I've been kind of surprised at how much it's been delayed. I mean, this was expected, I guess it was back last October, or was it October or November that it was supposed to originally launch? November, it looks like. Then it was delayed to CES and in the January time frame. Now I've heard either... Today I've heard both March and April... So somewhere around there, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe with this whole new architecture they bit off a little bit more than they could chew.
1: Yeah, or they got the wrong estimates from TSMC um, that they would be able to fulfill the request and they couldn't.
0: hmm Yeah, th- I. This certainly doesn't look very good for Nvidia. I mean, right now, about the only thing they've got going for them is the chip, since they seem to be doing okay getting that out the door. But they're a couple quarters behind on DirectX 11 cards. Now ATI is going to have, or well, AMD technically, is going to have quite the lead in the DirectX 11 market by the time they even get their first card out the door.
1: Yeah, that's very sad. Um, it's It sounds like their ship is going down quickly and there's nothing they can do to right it. Um, I heard that their die is pretty large for this, but I think that is probably the the nature of the GPU business. It's, it's no longer acceptable just to come up with a GPU. You have to have a GP GPU, a general purpose GPU that you can use uh, for supercomputing and uh, to feed some of their other uh, product categories. So I think that they, they try to make an overly complicated, versatile part that they could use over and over for different uh, business units, and I think that's just not working out. Which also means that um, their Tegra business, um, sorry, yeah, their um, their supercomputer business is probably going to suffer also along, not just their uh, desktop uh, graphics, but also you know workstation and and all their other business units.
0: Yeah, the whole supercomputer business seems to be a major shift for them primarily with this whole Fermi architecture and that they're moving I wouldn't say necessarily away from like graphics cards in terms of making them for gamers and stuff like that but they're, they seem to be aiming more at high-end supercomputers maybe doing stuff in like um, server-side processing more cloud computing type stuff and this certainly isn't the best way to get the ball rolling that's for sure.
1: Well, I wouldn't count them out. I, hopefully they'll have some surprising announcements for CES and maybe uh, a good demonstration of what's to come to keep people's uh, uh, whistles wet for their upcoming architecture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know they've just waited too long to have any chance of getting my money for this round of graphics cards. I'm tired of waiting, but I guess if I can't get my hands on a ATI... 5970 before then maybe I will end up waiting that long I don't know But anyway now back to the iPhone story um apparently I guess over the weekend there were issues with AT&T whether you were trying to buy an iPhone in the store whether you're trying to buy it on the Apple store from what I understand or from AT&T's website or whatever, if you were anywhere in the New York City area, you weren't able to buy iPhones. And depending on who you talked to at AT AT&T, there were two different stories. One was that the towers couldn't handle the phone, which would maybe kind of make sense considering how many issues they've had there anyway, from what I understand AT&T's... service in New York City is terrible but at the same time I was also hearing a story and re- as far as there was some kind of a um, scam or something like that that was going on that was that they had temporarily stopped selling iPhones in the New York City area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that a- story...
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry Wesley God. No, 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 give it a
2: When I read the story earlier today, it was pretty obnoxious the thought that this woman who tried to, you know, scout an iPhone online um, through the ut store upon calling a customer service representative was told, oh, you're in New York City? New York City can't handle the iPhone. Um, which is funny because New York City's had the iPhone since the iPhone came out it would be kind of just... Kind of silly for the iPhone to suddenly disappear, um, you know, late December of 2009, because recently AT&T's been having more network problems than ever before. Um, The fact that a customer service representative could say something like that is just laughable. I don't think AT&T would ever give that as an official reason for taking the iPhone off the air or uh, literally off the web, uh, just for New York City. The credit card scam is a little bit more understandable, but at the same time, I think they just made a, a you know, a media faux pas. They didn't announce the fact that they were temporarily taking iPhone off of the website. Um Daniel and I were talking about this earlier. We were uh recording our own podcast uh for Young Tech Show and you know, it just seemed just it just seemed like a bad media move to me. They have since um, announced that, you know, iPhone is back up on the web, that people in New York City can indeed go and buy themselves an iPhone if they so wish. Um, So it it only took a day or two. I don't know how long exactly the the big iPhone ban um, lasted, but I think if AT&T had just made a a minor announcement that said uh, iPhones are going to be unavailable for New York City on the web just briefly, they would have avoided this whole consumerist, Shebang, which is a very whistleblower, loud uh, website that gets a lot of attention.
1: I'd I like to um, interject a little cons- little uh, conspiracy theory, if I could.
2: <laughs> of
1: course. <laughs> I, um, so there's been announcements specifically about those two markets, New York City and San Francisco, or the Bay Area. Uh, mm-hmm. AT&T specifically targeted those areas and say service will be improved. My prediction is that they are tweaking the radios for the 3GS uh, for those areas uh, for, um, to have better capacity for the, the, to better use the cell phone towers there and maybe to be uh, specifically tracked by AT&T so they can tweak, tweak it for these targeted phones. And I think maybe their inventory system got turned off for that area because um, there's supposed to be a phone sold specifically through those areas from Apple. Um, that's that's what my guess is, is that they're targeting new iPhones uh, that externally look exactly the same, but internally are modified uh, to have better signal.
0: Well, my, my thought was this kind of goes along with the 18T CEO, whose name escapes me all of a sudden that we talked about, I believe it was last week, saying that the top couple percent of iPhone users use 40% of the data I thought maybe this could have some kind of a tie-in with that in some way. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I mean. That's, that's that's why I got this idea, because I think he's modified iPhones to either track this more efficiently or to give them uh, better access to to, to raise their, uh, their per- perception of being a better carrier.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, at least the iPhones are coming back or now on sale compared to Microsoft's Word who's about to be taken off of sale unless they get their workaround out by July 11th. Uh, January. January, yeah, that's right. It's getting yeah. a little late at night. <laughs> it's a Monday. True. But I
2: think
0: yeah, we they knew, will, though. We knew
2: this I was- mean, right. Yeah, we knew this was coming and and also it only affects 2007 um DVD or CDs that are or you know whatever licenses that are sold after this point. So everybody who's who already has one isn't affected. Everybody who was planning to buy one like as of today uh through whenever they reconfigure their disc or whenever they reconfigure the actual software. Um, you know, I guess is screwed for just a little while, but it's not like there's any shortage of alternatives for these poor people to use to as their uh, document writing software application. So,
1: my question is: currently, they have the beta of uh, Office 2010. I wonder if it has that same problem because they might just like not let it be sold and <laughs> use it to push, you know, go ahead and migrate to 2010 that doesn't have this issue.
0: The 2010 beta does not have this issue, so it is in no way related to this whole investi this or this whole lawsuit and everything. So if you download the beta, that's fine. If you buy this before January 11th, that's fine. From my talking to people at Microsoft, which, in full disclosure, as I'm sure most of you know, I am a Microsoft student insider, but from what I've been told, the they've got another version of Word that they're putting into Office and everything without this custom XML editing that this company has a patent on, and that it will be ready and on the market by January 11th, so there shouldn't be any supply issues when it comes to Office or Word.
1: I would say they shouldn't fix it. They should just go ahead and push 2010. I mean, uh, that it would allow them to say the government prevents us from selling this, meaning that they uh, are absolved from any hardships from any other companies because they can blame the government. And two, they can uh, say for those people who are uh, put through some, uh, some, some uh, unknown or undue stress because of this we can give you the price of what 2007 was uh, uh we can sell you 2010 for that same price i think it's a good move from them just like the whole thing about removing a browser um from windows 7 in the eu i was so for that move but they might i mean they'll they, knowing microsoft they probably will fix it
0: mm-hmm. yeah i've been meaning to download Office 2010 I just haven't gotten around to it cuz when it came out was when I was out at PDC and the internet out there was less than stellar. So I'm kind of curious to see what kind of just how good that is and if that would be a decent temporary solution for somebody who doesn't really want to have to even worry about these issues but is willing to try out the beta or you could potentially run into bugs and stuff. But at this point in the cycle, not likely since it's expected to come out during the summer. I'm kind of curious to know if that would be a real benefit for a lot of people or not.
1: I've been running it for over a month. It's solid. I love it.
0: How, how does the... Do they still use the same, like, ribbon interface of 2007?
1: Yeah, and um, I use Outlook... And they've imported into Outlook also. They have the new ribbon. Uh, I'm waiting for them to turn on the uh, social media integration uh, with LinkedIn. And I think that's going to be a, a killer plug-in when that gets turned on.
0: I hadn't even heard about that.
1: Yeah, it allow you to uh, like uh, manage your messages from LinkedIn in Outlook and vice versa.
0: Huh. Kind of surprises me considering I don't think a lot of people use... LinkedIn all that much to make it a feature of outlook
1: what well, n- let me correct myself not vice versa but incoming and outcoming messages sorry right. um, so, so you can send a message uh, you can reply to messages in Outlook and it'll go to go to LinkedIn and then you can receive messages from LinkedIn and it'll show up in outlook um, and they're gonna and it's gonna be open so it'll have different plugins so you can imagine Outlook being the center for your Facebook messages, um, all your social media messages, all in Outlook, and you would be able to manage them that way without having to visit a website and use their website mail program.
0: Hmm. That sounds like that would be a pretty cool feature to have. I'm, I don't know. I haven't used Outlook since I was out in college out in Utah. I've, When I used it out there, I liked it. I might be interested in trying it out again. When Office 2010 comes out, but
1: very good product.
0: Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I can't wait to. Maybe maybe I can play with it some up at Microsoft when I'm up there at the end of the month or at the end of January if I don't get a chance to play with it before then. But speaking of doing some globe trotting, apparently you've. There are some new homeland security rules thanks to the crotch bomber that i guess apply primarily to international flights or flights incoming from other countries into the u.s. but apparently they, i've also heard stories about these new rules going into effect on domestic flights as well store apparently now Within the last hour, I, and from what I understand, as of this afternoon, it's kind of more at the dis- discretion of the pilots. But now there's going to be more thorough inspections of your stuff. There, You can't ha- be holding anything the last hour of the flight. You can't get up and do anything the last hour of the flight. You can't be reading books. You can't be using your laptop or anything. You basically have to sit there where your hands can be seen at all times for the last hour of the flight. Or at least in some cases.
1: Yeah, from what Maya was saying earlier, and from what you're what you were saying too, this is starting to look like a really, really just like a, a knee jerk reaction to a possible terrorist attack. Um, that they have put these rules in place. They're temporary, and then eventually, after the holiday season has died down, we'll get some new permanent rules that aren't subject to discretion. There'll be rules and not suggestions. And I think until then, a lot of this is being handled haphazardly, depending where you're flying from, where you're flying to, and where airport and where airline. I think it's it's all kind of crazy right now.
0: I think the whole TSA thing is pretty much theater anyway. I mean, rather than it is real security. I mean I've seen' I don't, and heard stories of I don't know how many people accidentally getting through securities with big knives and all kinds of other stuff. Because it's basically just about w- wanting to appear secure. Yet, if you so much as try and carry a water bottle with you, you better be, you better have a lot of extra time. Because they'll probably want to do all kinds of other checks on you.
2: But. Right. Um, it is that those instructions for different procedures are set to expire in December 30th of this year so they are really just meant for the holidays at the moment um, I do think that with the media firestorm that quickly followed up the release of these new set of rules um, the TSA and you know whichever governing body they're gonna end up working with to develop new standards are gonna rethink some of the silliness in the rules I mean I think the whole one-hour thing is kinda of retarded uh, If you're not allowed to do anything in the one hour before your flight sets down, then let's just do something two hours before the flight sets down. Somebody who's on a mission to destroy an airplane doesn't care what time it is, I would imagine. Whether you're over water or over land, you're going to destroy an airplane that's full of people. You're going to do it no matter what time it is. That's my thought on that. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens after December 30th, when the new year begins. Um, how people are going to change what's going on. In terms of making flying more secure or airport um, entry more secure, the most secure country uh, in terms of airport flying, um, from what I've read, seems to be Israel. And that's because their um, security tactics are pretty advanced in terms of um, people monitoring and all sorts of psychological uh inspections and things like that but their agents are very highly trained and of course uh Israel has a civilian army so you know all of the people that are working at the airport had been through military training um as mandated by you know their Israeli citizenship so I don't think we're ever going to get to that level it's kind of impossible uh with the size and population of our country but you know maybe we'll hire a couple consultants to come in from Mossad and teach us a thing or two because the way things are going with TSA right now, it's not obviously not very effective. If this guy got into a plane um, all on his own, however, we can't really implicate the TSA with what happened with this crash bomber. He came in from uh, the Netherlands, so it's not like we the TSA had any control whatsoever over you know his entry into the United States at all. So I'm not sure exactly why they were implicated in such a way and had to. Um, you know make up all these crazy new rules and I, well, they, you know
1: they should have known that um, a bomb would be in the nether regions of a person coming from the netherlands I mean it's completely <laughs> odd.
0: duh well from my understanding of the airport that this guy flew out of is this has not just one checkpoint like you have with your normal airports but this one has two checkpoints one that's like the normal checkpoint that we would have here and the second one that is at the gate itself where you have to go through your scans and everything a second time but that that's one of the things that i partially think is just largely theater by the tsa in that um metal detectors aren't going to detect this kind of stuff if you and this stuff isn't metal that this guy had hidden in his underwear so, stuff like right. that, it makes no difference well, to really do that. I mean, they've got the one puffer machines that can maybe detect some stuff like that, and then they've got the other ones that can see through your clothes entirely and basically just get a picture of you naked, which, to me, I'm just kind of waiting for them just to bar all clothes from flights, period. <laughs>
2: You wish, <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I don't know about that. Um, There's some people around here I wouldn't want to see naked.
2: True, but I can agree with that. I actually uh, flew through the Amsterdam airport fairly recently, just a couple um, of weeks ago. I don't. There was no. There was not a double, um, you know, security process. There definitely was the whole mail detector thing and whatnot, but. Um, I, I think, regardless of what the mail detectors would or would not have detected on this man, he was on the no fly list and he was barred from getting into Britain. And any swipe of a passport or any even um, the most basic of document checks should have brought that up. And that's where I think they failed um, majorly. If he was on the no fly list, especially to get into America, there's no reason they should have allowed him on that flight, at least without. Um, you know, a secondary search uh, in a separate room where they would have searched his belongings and his person, since he obviously had no belongings and didn't bring anything with him.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a couple of various conspiracy theories running around about this. Some I might subscribe to, some I might not. As far as this is possibly just a ploy to get to purchase new equipment for the TSA and all kinds of stuff. But... Uh as long as they have retarded rules like this it's just going to mean a whole lot less flying for me. I've already canceled my CES plans largely because of this and partially it's because there's not doesn't seem to be much in the way of anything interesting at CES this year anyway from
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm not going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that too. But yeah, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense a lot of this stuff I can't imagine that this is going to help their case any
1: Agreed Well that was our last story You want to move on to
0: predictions? Yeah considering we're running a whole lot later than I thought we would be (laughs) But that's alright for the end of the year show we can run a little bit later
1: all right. So before we started, we're gonna do three positions each. Do you want to do round robin and give one each, and then uh, until we go around three rounds?
0: Sounds good to me. Let's start off with you, since you brought that suggestion up.
1: Sweet. Um, so my first prediction is that um, we're gonna start getting apps for the Kindle. Uh, just like uh, everyone's getting an app store, I think eventually, since the Nook runs Android underneath, it's gonna get applications and thus the Kindle's going to have to one-up them, and so the Kindle will get applications.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd be kind of curious to see if they would actually be willing to open the Kindle up quite that much. I mean, there's basically haven't been willing to open it up much at all. I mean, if anything happened with the Kindle, I could care less if it had an app store. All I want is to be able to tether my Kindle to, like, my netbook or something like that.
1: Haha. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs>
2: All
1: right. Who's next?
2: I'll take one. Um, I think that, actually, I'm pretty sure with the recent press release that we are going to be able to turn our cars into Wi-Fi hotspots. Uh, the press release that I'm referring to is the one that came out from Ford. Um, it's basically the use of Ford's sync technology, which is the voice controlled telecommunications and internet system inside their cars Now you're going to be able to plug in an air card into the sync USB port and effectively turn your car into a mobile Wi-Fi hotspot so you know that's your car and then if every other car on the road has it, we can eventually see smart highways smart networks and Things like that that hadn't previously been available to us easily without, you know, internet um, mobility. It's a good one.
0: Yeah, that, that's one thing I look forward to. I just with all the Ford Sync stuff and this wife and the Wi-Fi potential and everything. If if I ever happen to purchase an, a vehicle in the near future, I think it's going to be a Ford just because of that.
1: Well, the thing is, I'm going to be. I think we're going to be swimming and overcharge for wireless i mean cuz there's going to be you have you pay for the internet at your house you pay for internet on your phone you pay for internet even though it's built in into your your e-reader and then you know you have your 4g card and then you have your built-in internet on your on your netbook and now you're going to have to pay for internet on your car and that's it's going to be you're paying for the internet like 5 6 times over at that point.
0: Yeah, I know that's one of the things that I really hate when I'm traveling and stuff, is that when I have to pay, like, ten bucks for, for a day's usage of Wi-Fi at an airport or something like
2: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Alright. But, well, for my prediction, I think we're gonna see some kind of a device, whether it's like a tablet or what that is going to be almost entirely voice and gesture controlled I don't know what kind of form it'll take I don't know I just
2: perhaps you're talking about the Natal
0: basically kind of like maybe a combination I mean, between like, it, right? like Natal and the Juju basically some kind of like a mesh in between there Okay.
1: All right, so am I up next? That would be you. Um I say um the the inner, the Apple iSlate will flop. It's it's going to be a dud.
2: I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: assuming it exists. I mean if it does come out, I can't see it flopping just because they're on such a roll uh, and it's undoubtedly going to be a beautiful product, and call me a fangirl, but if they set it at the right price point, it depends on what you define flop as. Because, you know, it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a market changer, but Apple's historically had, like, lower numbers, but higher prices, right? And that will make up for their sales figures. So, depending on how much they price the, the machine at, I don't know if it'll be a flop. I don't know. I, you know what? I, I would say, say in the cat
1: in the, in the category of Apple TV flop. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. I see, what you're, I see where
2: you're going. But, yeah, interesting. I don't know.
0: Yeah, the price point of that, of the isolate, or of the rumored isolate, I should say, is what I think is going to be the most interesting thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that are saying how wonderful the Juju is, which, which is basically the old crunch pad. Um but at the same time that's $500 and people are complaining about that price now of course Man. apple can get away with their high prices but at what point is that going to be or at what price point is going to be best for the iSlate if people aren't willing to pay $500 for something like the juju
2: I hope it's not too high. I don't know. I mean the it thing is be. is that none of us none of us know anything about the, the ice the isolate. And I hope it's not called that either because I think that name is lame. But um, depending on the functionality that it has, if it's more powerful than a netbook, it shouldn't cost more than eight hundred dollars. It shouldn't cost more than, you know, five hundred dollars. But what if it has more functionality than your typical netbook, than your typical flimsy netbook, and it has the aluminum unibody, and it's, like, beautiful, and all this other stuff that it may do... I don't know. If there's too much speculation for me, my brain's about to explode. Flop. (laughs) Yeah. All right, go, Maya. Um, I am... I don't... I don't know any big... Big uh, predictions, other than perhaps that the idea of um, your operating system as browser will begin to take off a lot more, especially if we see um, many of the very popular netbooks coming out with Chrome OS, and the people that buy them really just latch onto the you know browser as OS. So. I predict that its popularity will increase exponentially in the new year.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to d- disagree with that, and I think that and my final prediction would be that the Google Chrome is a complete flop. Not just a partial flop, but a complete flop. <laughs> OS, or the, the or not the browser? Primarily the OS, but the browser I'm, I've never mm-hmm. been real fond of either. I mean, I use it, but I'm compared to the actual full-featured browsers out there, like Firefox or Opera or whatever, it just can't even compete as far as I'm concerned. And I saw some new benchmarks of the... uh, I believe it was the new alpha or whatever of Opera, and they completely blow Chrome right out of the water.
1: Wow. With the the focus on standards and opera being faster Mm -hmm. i i think that'd be awesome
0: well if i if i remember right the benchmark that i saw like the javascript or whatever they or the javascript engine that they're using or whatever i think it was like six times faster than chrome it's like six times eight times faster than chrome something like that so it's going to be an impressive browser when it comes out
1: Is that your prediction?
0: Yeah, that Chrome will be a complete flop. And we'll see more of them, see Opera getting more market share, too. All right. All right, so. Anyway, that takes us down to our tips of the week, since I decided to do three instead of one. Uh, First tip of the week, two of these coming from Lifehacker. This one is the torrent magnifier, which apparently brings multi-site torrent searching to your desktop so if you've been looking for a desktop application to do your torrent searches so that you don't have to check out mininova the pirate bay ISO hunt and all those others all you can just do it all once now all now in one single search with this wonderful little torrent magnifier program which I haven't necessarily tried it myself but I definitely Plan on using it here in the n- very near future. I'm just kind of strapped for bandwidth this month.
2: Can I comment on that briefly to say that the I'm not sure if you timed it this just perfectly but um, it, this is especially handy. I'm not sure if it's uh, completely applicable but torrent search engines were ruled unlawful today um, by a U.S. judge. What? So there was yeah yeah
1: what what level what is this a state supreme court or what
2: hold on I will tell you um, that... in a lawsuit brought by the motion picture Association of America US District Judge Stephen Wilson in Los Angeles ruled defendants technology is nothing more than old wine in a new bottle so he likened the guy from ISO hunt the guy who runs ISO hunt um to offering nothing different from services like Napster and Grokster
1: Okay, so what about Google?
2: <laughs> so I
0: don't know. Good question. So this was the um, ISO Hunt case that ISO Hunt lost back on the twenty fourth, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Okay, yeah. From my understanding in, of that particular case, of what I've read of it, they don't seem to be doing. They haven't shut down ISO Hunt in the U.S. And as far as I know of, it's still going strong in other countries. Yeah, I'm on it right now, and it and it's up and fine and everything but from my understanding is the reason they primarily lost this case was because unlike the Pirate Bay or whatever which never explicitly said here's how to get pirated content, here's where to get it, stuff like that the I S I L hunt guys actually did say stuff like that
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and that's kind of where they kind of shot themselves in the foot
2: that's interesting. Um, all I know from this article is that, uh, let's see, well, they're going to appeal, they're considering all options, but the judge said that Fung site, which includes ISOHunt, TorrentBox, and Podtropolis, garners about 10 million hits monthly, and uh, instead of having to log on to a proprietary network to download copyright files, Users access defendants' generally accessible website in order to download those files. And instead of downloading content files directly through the defendant's website, defendants use users download .torrent files that automatically trigger the downloading of content files. These details are, at their core, indistinguishable from the previous technologies. So it doesn't mention anything about what you're saying. Um, just that you know he's ruling them as indistinguishable from previous, uh, you know, deemed illegal um, music sharing sites, so I'm not sure if we might be talking about different things, but it sounds like it's serious in this article.
0: Yeah, well, with my understanding of this ISO hunt case is, with, with them, they were more able to prove intent that this is more for piracy than it is for sharing, like, Linux ISOs. Whereas, just because of things that the staff has said, the fact that there's, like, specific categories for top 20 movies and stuff like that. Whereas other sites, or the smart torrent sites, don't do stuff like that. But, then again, I always tend to point people to private trackers, because then they don't really have to deal with this nightmare as much. Speaking of which, if anybody needs any invites to my private trackers, no, you're not getting any. Um, anyway, our second tip of the week would be how to improve your blog and social media strategy. This is this comes from Write Creatively. Basically, it's a s- summary of the different posts that they've done over the past year be on like how to be better in social media, how to stay strong in your blogging, um, creating a backlog of content, um, messing with emails, how to manage your blog, and just all kinds of different things in regards to your blog and social media strategy. So if you happen to be any kind of a social media person or a blogger, this is definitely something worth checking out. And finally, you can apparently get your Facebook updates through your feed readers, whether it's, like, Google Reader or I don't even know half the RSS feeder, feed readers that are out there anymore because right? all I ever use is Google Reader. But apparently, now, you instead of having to visit Facebook, you can get those just imported straight into your um, feed reader, which is probably a feature that I'll definitely be using a lot of but anyway and that one also comes from LifeHacker. But that would be our show for this week. It's been a very long show compared to usual it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a long show. But anyway, <laughs> um that's basically it. For the show notes, everything that we've talked about, checking out, to check out the tips of the week and everything else, you can find those at globalgeeknews.com. Um, you can also check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com blog. And don't forget, we do live off of your donations, so if you go to globalgeeknews.com donations or just click the donations button on globalgeeknews.com, you are welcome to donate to us, help us, pay for our server fees and everything, keep us up and running, which that would be very much appreciated, especially after I tend to pay large hosting bills and domain bills and everything like that. And anything over $10 will get you a mention, or you can put whatever link you want on the donation page. Anything over $25 will get you a mention on the show and possibly... I'm looking into maybe doing like some t shirts and stuff as well. I, I'm working on getting a whole store set up with t shirts and mugs and all kinds of stuff like that. So that might be coming here in the real near future. So keep an eye out for that. And if you happen to donate a large amount, you'll be given uh, some kind of an item from the store once I get that launched. But anyway, I'd like to thank Maya for coming on the. Show this week, which where all can we find you at besides the Young Tech Show, which is YoungTechShow.com, isn't it?
2: Yes, the YoungTechShow.com. But I also live and love on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Papaya Maya. Papaya like the fruit, and uh, you know you can find me through there. My blog, which is MayaEatsCake.com, and all sorts of other stuff through my Twitter. So. Yeah, look me up. I look forward to making lots of new friends. Well,
1: I just follow, started following you today.
2: Yeah, I saw that, Wesley. <laughs> well,
0: we look forward to definitely having you on in the future. But
2: thanks a lot. I look forward to it as well.
0: But, and we can all find Wesley at Wesley83 on Twitter. And do you have a anything else you'd like to promote, like a posterist site or whatever? I think I've seen you messing with lately.
1: Yeah, I have Wesley83 at com, but um, also, I, I just wanted to give a shout out to all of our listeners over this year, it's been an awesome experience, and I wanted to thank everyone for listening to the show uh, over this past year, and hope to uh, have more of you in 2010.
0: Yeah, I've been very impressed with our listeners, whether they've been submitting stuff for the blog, so that I have a whole lot less writing on the blog to do, which is nice, And just everything that they've that all the listeners have done telling their friends about the show and everything, that's great. That's the least I can ask for out of all of you guys is to tell everybody you know about the show. But also I would like to say that I'm very happy to announce that the Global Geek News Twitter account, which is at Global Geek News, is now north of one thousand Twitter followers. And that is growing at a very rapid pace, so I want to thank everybody for that. And if you aren't following that, make sure to follow that for all kinds of tech news, whether it's Global Geek News related or not. And don't forget to follow me. I am at PCNerd37, and I post lots of tech-related stuff and pretty much anything else that just happens to float across my mind. But anyway, that is all we have for this week. We will see you guys next week where we have some pretty cool stuff in the works. You'll want to check us out for 2010. So we will see you guys next week. Later.
2: Bye.